My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is produced in collaboration with Studio Pod Media. For information on our episodes, articles, and professional community, head to technicallyspeakinghw.com today. Hey, everybody. My name is Harrison Wheeler, and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. My guest today is Kevin Bethune, who is a founder and chief creative officer of Dreams, Design, and Life. Is that right? Correct. You got it. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. And the author of his new book, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Harrison. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Just give folks a a high level pitch about who is Kevin Bethune if they're not familiar. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, Thank you. So again, my name is Kevin Bethune. I presently am a designer, entrepreneur, and first-time author operating out of Redondo Beach, California. And uh, I'm leading my practice, which I call a think tank in dreams, design, and life. And I've been running that for four years. Really, there were two motivations for starting the company. The first is just wanting to work on more human-centric opportunities versus just doing a number of uh, digitization projects for the sake of things being digital. And then secondly, marrying the best of my physical product creation and digital creation careers together to work on seamless experiences. So no surprise, like half the client partners are startups interested in internet of things, opportunities, as well as innovation groups within large corporates as well. One of the things that we'll get into a bit later is Kevin has a wide ranging background between engineering design, physical design, as well as digital design. And you also are in the finance and business. So I'd love to just sort of get into how those skills have really played a really important role in terms of your journey. But before then, I want to like dive into the name of your agency, which is Dreams, Design, and Life. Can you unpack that for us? What does that mean? Like it's an <laughs> equation. People listening can't tell, but there's a plus and there's a dash and all of that. So maybe kind of walk us through it. As I navigate into my career and then with the rise of social media, you start to like hashtag things. And so honestly, it's a collision of this idea of dreaming and actually having a vision, not only for yourself, but also for the things that you want to actually create in the world. So shaping the future, having a vision about that. Uh, So that's where the dreaming comes. The actual life piece on the other end of the, the brand name, the life piece just speaks to the concrete realities that we navigate every day. You know, there's headwinds, there's tailwinds, there's forces that we have to contend with. And just in my experience, design, design in the middle is sort of that, that medium, that broker between the future and the now, as well as in the past, uh, in terms of bringing that historical relevance to the equation. So these pieces of dreaming, design, and life kind of coalesced for me. I love that because you're, you're also thinking about the past, which I think a lot of times, maybe actually, why don't you tell me what is innovation? Because a lot of times we think of it as the shiny new things, but there's a lot of contextual significance in actually being able to understand what those opportunities are. Yeah, no, it's a good question because the short answer is I believe innovation is an idea that has been successfully commercialized. And so a lot of variables need to come together to prove out the worth of an idea, whether it's we talk about desirability, uh, technical feasibility, business viability. But what people need to recognize is that if we look in the past and see what has been the cycle of renewal within given industries, our consumer tech sort of space might have renewal every six months, just the speed of change is just so rapid. But I've also worked in the sectors of like industrial goods and heavy machinery, heavy engineering. 
So that cycle of renewal might be every two to five years. And so the timing of how these variables coalesce, we have to be mindful of how the cycles work over time. Yeah, and I love the contextual application of it because it's not an overly generalized approach to things. But before we get into that, I'm going to kick off with a few icebreakers. And one of the ones that I love to ask guests off the bat, this is easy. (laughs) What are you currently obsessed with? It's funny. I do geek out over audio gear. I am no musician, don't know how to play (laughs) anything, sadly, but I I just love music. Music actually enhances my creative process. Music is a helpful catalyst to help me get into flow state when it comes to creating anything. So around my house, I have so many devices, so many connected speakers, audio products, devices that I'm constantly experimenting with. And I I definitely, um, in the future, plan to have a chapter in that space concertedly. Is this more or less like analog audio devices that you're kind of tinkering with or just convenience of playing music anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think honestly, for me, it's got to be audiophile level physical product in terms of its ability to perform. But ideally in a digital world, it's as connected and seamless to work with my devices as well. Right. I discovered something that's hilarious and it's my AC temperature control has a speaker and I can play music out of it. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the worst application because like the audio is terrible. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's like when you try to make things too connected where it doesn't make sense at all. So yeah, I think it's good to be purposeful. What like What's on your playlist, by the way, speaking of flow state? Definitely. Um, I'm a big fan of John Coltrane. So I, you know, I play, um, there's actually a record where he was touring through Japan and it's actually covered in the Netflix documentary, Chasing Train, which I highly recommend. So a big Coltrane addict. And then also Cornelius, a group out of Japan that I, I just love their music, very technical music. How about you? I'm assuming there's also kind of attraction in terms of just Japanese design culture. Does that play an impact in, in any of that? I would have liked to think I was a fan of cultural forces emerging from Japan, but it wasn't until business travel got me over there several times. And then I started tacking on personal days to explore on top of business trips. And so yeah, like Germany, Japan, they're, they're, France, there's pockets in the world that I definitely drew a ton of inspiration from. As far as me, sadly, I haven't been in like a flow state situation, partially because most of my days are meetings. And so that's one of the things I really do miss about like designing. But I mean, if this comes as any sort of point that we can talk to, I've been painting one of my bedrooms for the past couple of days. And so I've actually, I will say that I have painted through three Kendrick Lamar albums. (laughs) (laughs) So he's also dropping a a new album in May. So mid-May, we're already in May. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I usually kind of lean on the hip-hop side. Okay, cool. I love hip-hop too. So it definitely fills my list. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So this might be a little left field, all right? But if you were stranded on an island, who would you want to be with and why? (laughs) Well, first and foremost, especially with my wife probably listening to this. (laughs) By the way, I was like, you know what? This might be a little controversial. <laughs> I'll first start out with my... It can't be your wife. Uh, not, not even my 12-year-old son. <laughs> yeah, I. I um, it's funny. I do have a couple creative heroes that I would love to just have coffee with, let alone be trapped on a desert island. But I, I'm a big fan of the creative genius of Denzel Washington. I mean, he's, he's always been a hero of mine. Charday, the just her whole musical and cultural ethos around her. Yeah, there are folks like that that I look up to. 
Oh, that would be amazing <laughs> to be on an island with Denzel. You know, he would he'd be dropping so many gems. He would. <laughs> so many. It's his demeanor. Yeah, it's amazing. All right. So the last icebreaker. What are two words that would describe Kevin Bethune? Creatively curious. Tell me, tell me more. Creatively curious, because that's always been the defining thread through every chapter of my experience. And always like, no matter the business or personal opportunity, how can we always like open the aperture and consider combining different things that might not be immediately in our periphery? How can we always expand the aperture to consider a diversity of inspirations to draw from? I love that. All right. So look, now that we're talking about your motivations, we've talked about where you are now. Maybe kind of give us what that journey has been like for you, because it feels like it's been meandering. I mean, it looks good on LinkedIn, (laughs) right? Right. Everything looks good on LinkedIn. But maybe kind of tell me through your thought process of starting out in engineering, going into finance, you know, obviously working at startup companies and then eventually having your own agency and writing a book. Yeah. Yeah. I would be lying if I told you it was part of any master plan that I had at the outset. That definitely wasn't the case. But I can say in my youth, I was creatively curious and that drew for hobby. And, and drawing for me was a way in which I sort of hoped to understand the world, how to break things, the things that I observed, capture inspiration. But in terms of turning that into to a professional path, at this point, I'm growing up for the better part of most of my childhood in the downriver Detroit metro area, part of automotive country. All the neighbors worked at factories. Design was like a thousand miles away outside the worldview. It was almost under the umbrella of art. And as much sacrifice as my family was making to miraculously, hopefully, send their kids to college, the idea that there had better be a pragmatic job on the other side of that investment was like front and center. And because interests coalesced between drawing, math, and science. I love love science as well. Engineering made more pragmatic sense. So fast forward, working in nuclear power, the first industry that I stepped into, they were facing a knowledge crisis. A lot of the folks that designed the world's nuclear operating plants, verge of retirement. And so there was, out of all industries that you could be an engineer, that, that industry was fearing the brain drain. And if there was any industry that had a wide open door to learn fast from the senior engineering talent, it was that one. So the timing was serendipitous, but I'm so thankful that I felt like I got 10 years of product experience in those five years that I worked in nuclear. But as a technical professional, sometimes, you know, with your subject matter expertise, a company may want you to rinse and repeat that over and over again on projects. But you might have curiosity around the bigger picture of things. Like, why is the company doing what it's doing? And why are we scoping work this way or pricing it that way? And I lacked the business acumen to be able to have some agency in influencing that conversation. And naturally, that curiosity snowballs. Fast forward, end up in business school. And that was two years to sort of take a step back and say, I could take this business language on top of my tech background back into an engineering company and be comfortable with that. But that creative itch for my youth kept scratching. And I told myself, I want to join an organization that doesn't have just the the technology and the strategy, but has the creative faculties as well that I could at least explore. And thankfully, Nike afforded me a path in. I started as a business planner, typical MBA job, but, but I was a product guy. I was a product guy at heart. And Nike being the collegial company that it was, it wasn't hard to like network and meet other people through coffee chats. But um, sure enough, some of those coffee chats turned into opportunities to stretch myself and show those product organizations I had potential and that I wanted to learn about what they had to offer um, and that there was mutual synergy. So fast forward, I was able to get a, a job closer in the product engine of Nike. 
And that's when I saw professional design for the first time. And having some product volition for my engineering, there was some shared language in terms of like digital creation, 3D skill sets. And I became very curious about what the designers were doing. And at the time, uh, a man by the name of Dwayne Edwards was the footwear design director for Jordan Brand. He's now the founder of Pensole Footwear Academy, now Pensole Lewis College. But Dwayne, Dwayne gave me a shot. He had too many briefs, not enough designers. <laughs> So just to kind of recap, so this is digital at Nike and like around what time or is this? So I entered Nike 05. I got into product engine around 07 and then worked double duty in an, basically an operational job within product engine. But I was designing on the side, designing for Dwayne, designing for the Innovation Kitchen and working double duty until I left in 2010. And honestly, I reached a big fork in the road toward the end of making that decision to jump ship. On one hand, I, I could have clawed and scratched for 15 more years before I was credentialed in Nike's eyes as a forward designer. But at the same time, around that, that time span, the world was changing. We were seeing the rise of Apple, the iPod, iTunes, design being celebrated on the cover of business magazines. And I said, you know what? That positioning is attractive. That multidisciplinary positioning, how can I gain even more agency for my career by really investing in my positioning? And I guess I wasn't willing to wait the 10 to 15 years I went back into grad school to really flesh out my creative foundation in concert with the other things that I've done. How do you make that decision? Is this like a numbers game to you? Like, or is this intuition? Like, you know, you got Nike at that point in time. I think there were a lot of innovative things coming out of that, right? And I think there was an Apple partnership at some point. How do you just say, I'm in a really good spot, but you know what? I'm going to go and get a master's. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought I was cool with the MBA. I thought I was done. But the evidence trail of leaning into curiosity, taking on that side project and another side project and another side project, meeting Dwayne at six in the morning and then doing the day job and doing his stuff at night, that was a soul searching journey. I probably didn't realize it at the time, but I was soul searching my way, creating evidence through these experiments of what could be possible, seeing actual success and traction, like getting shoes in market and getting invited to help the innovation kitchen on some things. And so the evidence trail was starting to build up to give evidence and data that there's something to this potential. Granted, it was scary as hell to um, <laughs> quit a job that on paper, people would say, oh, you're in the dream job, you're in the dream lane. But it became a question of timing. How quickly can I position myself and not have to ask permission to do this work? I'm gonna interrupt here because I think there's a really interesting point around these side projects. And it seems like those probably played a bigger role in you getting to the decision process. So it wasn't necessarily like reading a blog and this is what I want to jump to. It seems like you were actively working towards that. So maybe kind of talk to us about the importance of those and maybe how some of our listeners, like why that should be something maybe they explore if they're ever thinking about making a pivot. Yeah, I do have to put the important caveat that side hustles aren't for everyone and that you have to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a vulnerable position to be exploited or to rob yourself of your own health of trying to overwork yourself. But if you have like valid curiosities and you're just trying to understand like, could that path be for me? And granted, I, I need to be mindful to my day job, make sure I'm performing and I'm hitting the success metrics. Got to keep that house secure. But if I'm curious and it's my career at the end of the day. It wasn't Nike's career path for me. It was my career path. I just happened to be working at Nike. So I owe it to myself to carve a little bit of time. Initially, maybe it was that half hour to engage in a coffee chat with someone outside of my department. Just that little experiment to see like what synergies, what curiosities could be had by that conversation. And then like 
the invitation to maybe do some work for free for learning. I think the key word is for learning, like, is this for me? Am I able to actually produce value for that team that's receiving? Is there chemistry? Does it feel right to potentially foresee myself working for them or with them? Those side hustles start to answer those equations. And it's funny, like by the time I interview for a job, I already have advocates because those advocates see the evidence trail I'm doing in the stretch and things become a lot more impactful. Right. So you you kind of have like these little receipts of investment over time. So yeah, let's kind of fast. So you, you'd go and get your MBA. So now you're starting your agency. And so where did the motivation of that come from? Well, I, I, I must correct that yeah, this is post MBA. So I got a master's of science in industrial design. Oh, so you got another. So after I quit Nike, the fork in the road was to go back to school. So that was the additional master's. It was a master's of science in industrial design to basically say, okay, engineering, MBA, MS, basically, together could solidify my training to do this innovation work really well. So even from those side projects, you started to understand where those gaps and skills were. So now let's get into how you started your agency. What kind of motivated you to get that going? So there was a big chapter, a big runway that was afforded to me as I was rounding the end of my art center curriculum. So as I'm finishing up the final couple of graduate semesters at art center, I happened across a small group of business partners that were very much interested in my hybrid background. But then also we collectively had a shared view of where the future was going, like really embracing multidisciplinary collaboration that is the currency to drive innovation. And we started working that way for a few companies in their Rolodex. We sparked the attention of some very big management consulting firms and private equity platforms. BCG ended up acquiring us fully as our parent that really invested and really wanted to help us along. Our outfit became BCG Digital Ventures, just a handful of us misfits trying to spark something different and inverse to management consulting within management consulting relationships. <laughs> so over the next five years, we scaled to roughly a thousand people. A third of that was design. And the way we worked, we would ring fence designers, digital strategists, technologists, and ask BCG's clients to live in residence with us at large invested innovation centers. So we weren't traveling like BCG consultants to clients. The clients would live in residence with us at our innovation centers. And over that span of time, I was tasked as the first creative in that mix to help stand up design and innovation capabilities so that every venture could be fed with a design point of view, have design representatives as a part of those venture teams. And so I ended up becoming the vice president of strategic design within that envelope. And while being grateful to delivering design contributions across all ventures, across all industries with the likes of BCG's clientele, over time, I became even more like decisive around like here, there's two topic areas that where I want to spend more of my time versus being all things to all industries. And so right around the bend of 2008, that was the decision to start my company. What's up, everybody? It's Harrison again. I'm sure if you haven't heard by now, I just released the Technically Speaking Product Design Glossary. It's 118 need-to-know terms centered around the ins and out of user experience design. The best part about it is that it's a free download. Head on over to technicallyspeakinghw.com or our Instagram for more information. So what exactly do you focus on now in terms of your strong suits? What are those? I sort of explain it as breadth and depth, honestly, because of that runway I had at BCG and now the same tone with Dreams Design and Life. The breadth 
It's about bringing multidisciplinary or disparate disciplines together in the same room to have shared conversation. So we'll, we'll use strategic design capabilities, future foresight, immersing ourselves in trends and exemplars to foster a multidisciplinary conversation at a breadth perspective. And then the depth of like what, where we hang our hat on our ability to deliver design, it's definitely in the realm of industrial design. So no surprise, we're kind of a lot of connected devices, a lot of physical form factors that fit into digital ecosystems. Well, thank you for taking us through that. Now I want to turn to your book, Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. Congrats on the release. Thank you. <laughs> and tell me, like, how has it been since you've released the book? Uh, as a first-time author, this whole process has been a learning journey full of ups and downs, but it feels surreal for it to be out and to see a lot of folks that I don't know sort of DM or ping me or post things about parts of the book that has resonated with them. That, I feel like it was a mission accomplished to see how it's touching people and allowing people to really see themselves in the book. Yeah, maybe kind of walk us through the motivation behind it, because it talks about really kind of a lot of your experience from a career perspective, which we just talked about, and then also around thinking about diversity and inclusion in terms of bringing them into these processes. So maybe walk us through that. Yeah, I think the initial ambitions could have been easily another book around the intersection of design and business, or more perspectives to layer onto the existing canon of design thinking, just because of what I had to help lead and stand up in past or recent chapters. It could have easily been that. But I, I landed my book contract at the start of the pandemic, and I can say multiple compounding pandemics, whether it's COVID. Fortunately, it was the summer of George Floyd and all those tragedies that the Black community knew were happening already. Like This was nothing new to us. It's just that the world was seeing it for the first time, arguably. All these things were happening where, as I'm writing and I'm forced to reflect on uh, recent career transitions, I couldn't help connect the dots between the overt stuff that we were seeing in the media, the jarring stuff, and the relationship to the covert stuff that many of us experience every day in the institutions and enterprises that we navigate. And I spoke through the lens of a Black man navigating corporate America. And I'm careful in my writing not to speak for other people and pretend to know what a woman is going through or someone else with a different intersectional lens is going through. But if anything, the writing process was a cathartic act to unpack a lot of the things I've experienced. I, I like your last statement. So my father's actually writing a book himself right now. Oh, cool. And he's retired. He's in his 70s. And yeah, it's a very emotional process for him. And in many ways, he said the same thing. It's very cathartic. But just back to you, I think an interesting piece about this is that you've been in different industries. And I think that's like very unique because I think a lot of times there's really kind of a, a design voice, but maybe it may strictly be in digital design. And so are there nuances to these different industries or has everything you've seen pretty much been the same? Uh, there's definitely nuances. I think the timing of things could be different. The political wirings and motivations could be very different. But we have to also remember that we're rapidly entering such a converging multidisciplinary world. That's what the future is going to require. And so if, if there's ever a time to start to embrace creative problem-solving techniques to understand, like, how do we break out of these cycles of just like marketers marketing and consumers consuming and really respect the greater ecology that's at play? Not just the end user, which I hate the word user, that we're human beings in an ecosystem of all these different stakeholders and include the planet. Planet is a stakeholder. 
and realizing and recognizing the the ramifications of every design or business decision, it's going to be even more important. I think that I love that take. And the reason being, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like for a while design really wanted to own design and get a seat at the table. And then now that we have a seat at the table in many cases, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great um, connection and a connection that I, I, I do make the reach in the book. I do connect sort of design's maturation at the strategy table. That is probably the one discipline that has most recently arrived, to your point. But at the same time, there is a connection of what it means to be othered. As Black men, we can understand being othered. Design at the strategy table can feel othered. And there's a bigger opportunity here to crack through the ambiguity around just sort of the general malaise and confusion around like what is design and what is how is design as a practice different than design thinking and how do we how do we not be purists and like preach about design to people that may not care <laughs> where we risk sounding theoretical and instead how can we be and I'm going to echo the words of one of my uh, friends and mentors Bob Schwartz how can we be subversive with a good heart and help the business help the organization accomplish its goals with design so that that's my hope and then in terms of like what's next you and I both know design is woefully behind. Our field is woefully behind when it comes to representation. But as we mentioned before, the needs of the future require us to connect and address the needs of a hyper-connected world that is a beautiful mosaic of diversity. So if our field isn't matching or mirroring that, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? When writing this book, what was something that surprised you? Well, I guess two things. One, because of MIT's academic precedent. And my book was, you know, definitely one of the early trade works that they are getting used to doing beyond their academic history. But they do require a peer review process. So they peer review your proposal, they peer review the draft manuscript, you get a lot of spicy feedback for or against your arguments. <laughs> so that, navigating that was interesting. But the other part of the answer is, I have to applaud the MIT press in that they were very encouraging of me going into this personal arena as the world was like on fire around, around the writing process. They just encouraged me to keep going. And even with the spicy feedback I may have collected in peer review, they encouraged me to develop my own point of view and not just like placate to the pedagogies or the big voices in our field. Where are you hoping things go when talking about this conversation and design? I know your book is a really important piece to that. I know there was also another book that was released back in February around the Black identity and design. Yes, I think I have it back here somewhere. <laughs> I know, I've, I've got it back here. Oh, it's right there. Yeah, so what do you think that your book will play in sort of moving that conversation forward? You know, if anything, I'll first say that I don't pretend to profess that my book is the magic pill for all the issues that we're dealing with. But I do believe my book is timely and important in that it sets a new tone to open up the door for more voices to come in. And especially underrepresented or marginalized or just hidden voices that our field so desperately needs, whether it realizes it in the moment that we're in. It needs to open up and realize it. So so my hope is that this, this sets a new tone to give others inspiration and hope and courage to leverage their voice as well. So the more voices that come in, the more diverse our field can become. Yeah. 
Look, I mean, I will say this. I know coming out of the pandemic and everything that you talked about between George Floyd and some of the continued events, if there's one thing, at least we've seen an acceleration of this. And that's something that I'm really thankful for being able to connect with you, obviously, your work coming out around this time. So can't thank you enough. And in terms of just where people can find the book, like where can folks purchase your latest release? No, appreciate that. Folks can simply go to kevinbethune-reimaginingdesign.com. But thanks to the partnership between the MIT Press and Penguin Random House, you can basically find the book at every distribution channel imaginable online. But I also encourage folks to support their local independent bookstores. And if they don't have the book in selection, you could always request it and they can order it from the catalog for you. Awesome. And do you have any closing advice for the listeners on the show? Well, I would say lean into your curiosity because of the hyper-connected nature of how the world is unfolding, that dwelling on the edge or entertaining hybrid notions, that's okay because that's what the future is going to require of us. And explore more than what your job description commands because usually those things aren't wired for what the future needs. So be bold, be courageous, and lean into your curiosity. Thank you so much, Kevin. Best of luck with everything and looking forward to your voice and hopefully more books. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.